Hello and welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Sean Daly. Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Kamala, thanks for having me. So uh, yeah, I've been an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur for the last 35 years. I've owned six businesses. The most recent three have been agencies. So I've been in the agency space. I um, started as a tech author and parlayed writing and speaking I was in the Windows enterprise space. And then I ended up parlaying that into, uh, I kind of backed into marketing. Uh, somebody had to point out to me that I was a marketer. They're like, yeah, so you're building these ebook programs for these software companies like Microsoft and Dell. That's like marketing. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a publisher. <laughs> now you're a marketer. You're generating leads. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm a marketer. And that was about 22 years ago. And so ever since then, I kind of embraced that. So I started with B2B. So I was doing a lot of B2B marketing for mostly in the tech space. And then sold that uh, company successfully in 2005 and then went into like just everything podcasting. I was kind of like the old man of podcasting. I was doing it back in the day when people did like, what's a podcast. And uh, also was doing like, you know, blogging and social media and all these things and ended up starting an agency in 2010 and focusing both local and national did, did both. And was just doing a smattering of different, probably 22 different industries. And then that lasted until I sold that agency just a little, over a year ago. There are two agencies actually. So yeah. Uh, so here I am in my latest iteration and that kind of plays into, I think what we're talking about today. So I'll hold off on that part, but it kind of brings us to the topic of like, why did I make the change and why I'm here? I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about. And it's so interesting because I wouldn't say our journeys are exactly the same other than Microsoft overlap, because if you live in Washington, inevitably, and you're in tech, at one point, you probably worked for Microsoft, Nintendo, Amazon, one of the big ones. So, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> but more technical background moving towards my marketing. So you probably have a little bit different perspective than some of the people who came into it from agency advertising branding. So from your standpoint, what is the one thing you see marketers pretty consistently getting wrong? So, and I think that this is, there's perennial things that marketers tend to get wrong, but those are sort of well-known and, you know, we're, uh, you can chat GPT it now and fix it. I'm kidding. That's a joke, but <laughs> that's what everybody thinks of. But, uh, it's, I think it's more marketers are being victimized lately, I think since for the last three years. And so we're all collectively suffering from this. And this is what happened for me was in about 2019, along with everybody else, just to tell the quick, I'll do a quick recounting of how did we get here? Like, how did things get the way they are in, in marketing, especially online marketing and especially with paid advertising? And, you know, just to recap, so the 2020 elections, we had the Cambridge Analytica scandal whatever you want to call it. Right. And the response on you know, Facebook gets dragged in front of Congress, everything happens. So now they're going to champion, no, we're, we're going to start, you know, reducing what advertisers can target in Facebook and Instagram campaigns as, as a step amongst other measures and uh, put, put lockdowns on, you know, uh, political advertising, things like that. Okay. That's all great. What happened as, as an agency who was running like 50 different client campaigns and for all the advertisers that are out there, media buyers, we all kind of went, Ooh, this is starting to get really difficult because we were kind of printing money. And unless if you were paying attention, you were kind of printing money on Facebook and other platforms, 2013, 2014, whatever. And that thing, you know, it was just, it was pretty easy and it was pretty awesome. And it was kind of like the golden age of paid ads. 
And then all of a sudden it got really hard and we weren't able to target as well anymore. We weren't able to target based on financial information. A lot of PII got taken away. And so things started getting hard in the agency space. So we found ways to counter it. We started using a lot more lookalike audiences with first party data, emails, lists, and things like that. You know, we were starting to counterbalance it to some degree. And then Kamala, April 2021 came along. And if we thought that was bad before what happened with Cambridge Analytica, we, you know, we had another thing coming because essentially at that point, Apple was like, we're going to champion privacy and we're going to make everybody anonymous in iOS 14.5, right? Originally it was supposed to happen in the 13, uh, but it ended up being 14.5. And like the opt out, the opt out was um, optional, and the default was not sharing my information. We don't know who you are anymore, and only four percent of people actually uh, statistically allowed. I don't know who those four percent of people are, but four percent of people actually say yes, you can track me. Uh, everybody else didn't. So that that I mean that was a complete sea change. If that was it, that's you know people call it um cookie apocalypse. There's all kind of names for it, Facebook Armageddon, etc. But it, it's cut. $300 billion since then of revenue from the major platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Google, Twitter, et cetera. That's huge. So marketers, going back to your question, they're all suffering from this. We're, we're all suffering from this. I'll tell you in the agency space, at that point, I was kind of like, screw this. Like, this is not fun anymore. Interestingly, in 2017, I had a conversation that I ended up, I would end up coming back to. In 2017, I had a friend who, if you've ever seen the movie, The Graduate, you know, it's like plastics, my boy plastics, you know, he whispers, to the guy, to him at the party, Dustin Hoffman, like the future, you know, it was plastics and obviously dated reference there. I, I felt like I had my graduate moment with that, with a, a friend of mine who actually is a mentor for me, who's been in this business and marketing game a long time. And he said, he goes, you know, first party data is going to be the way and, and site visitor de-anonymization is going to be the way and something called in-market data. And I was like, okay, that sounds really cool. When I get out of the agency game, I'm going to come back and see if this is really happening. This is real and everything. And I did five years later. And I said, so is it, is it still it, Rex? And he's like, yep, <laughs> still here, still doing well, still fixing uh, everything that was taken away from us and Facebook and all that. And I was like, okay. So I, I decided to get into this game. And essentially what, what, what's happening, this is so third-party data, cookies, everything's going away. Now, Google and Facebook, they're freaking out, right? They're, they're losing uh, market share. I mentioned how much money evaporated. They're freaking out. And Google's now pushed this date back to eliminate cookies twice. Like the first time it was going to be in 2022. Now it's 2024, right? That's because they don't have a good answer for this. But you'll see the messaging that's coming from Facebook and Google is, hey guys, just upload your first party, upload your email list. We'll help you out with this, right? But that's not really an answer. Um, it's, a, it's a limited answer. So user tracking data is the only way to really counter these changes as a marketer, as a brand advertiser, uh, what have you. So it's first party data, data that you've collected directly from your audience, you know, from your website, from social media, whatever it might be. And, and that's not going to get hit the way that all these other privacy regulations are hitting, you know, CCPA, et cetera, et cetera. We're just seeing waves of it. It starts in, usually starts in Europe and then it comes over to the U.S. and, you know, usually hits California first and then goes across the rest of the U.S., right? And so that, when you have your own data, it's very unlikely, I never want to say never, but it's very unlikely that that is going to, to get hit in the same way. It makes sense, right? So what essentially this comes down to is a better collection of data on your own site and your own properties. And so that's what, that's basically the technology that I'm involved with now. That's what it does. It de-anonymizes site visitors. 
so we can actually identify you know personally identifiable information from people around the site and we also can get now that's great we're doing like 30 to 50% on average. We have sites doing 70% de-anonymization. Um, we can then upload that data into Facebook and Google and all the other platforms, which is awesome. We can push it through a customer data platform to get even more de-anonymization. So by the time it ends up in Facebook, we, we often have like 95% de-anonymized. At least at minimum with, with that SHA-256 unique identifier, right? The hash code, which is what they eat up and they, they say, oh yes, we have that person in our database, right? That's what we're looking for. So people who are out there saying, well, I've got the Facebook pixel installed on my site. And isn't that all working magically and perfectly? It's like, no, no, <laughs> it's not. I, yeah. I heard this manifest as our digital advertising performance went way down and we can't figure out why. And I'm like, have you not been reading the news <laughs> with iOS changes? There've been a bunch of privacy law updates. I mean, if you're in the European European union, you're not using Google Analytics anymore. Like it's just so much has changed. So we've got the privacy first design, which we can say it's altruistic. I don't know about that, but you know, like privacy is a concern now. You've also got privacy legislation like GDPR, different states in the United States are now bringing those laws over here. And I think a lot of people, one, didn't understand how it's impacting their data and maybe still don't. So we're losing a lot of the visibility. We don't know what works and what doesn't work quite as well. And it's getting really hard to tie advertising performance back to opportunity bookings because uh, whether or not they allow cookies and all of these other things impacts whether or not we can tie UTM parameters that we used to use to track all those things back to the actual visit. So it's complicated. And then on top of that, with uh, the invasion in Ukraine and all of the cyber attacks that started happening primarily over email, that has changed what we are and aren't allowed to do via email as well. So we had this loophole with platforms that salespeople were using where it, it gated the email output. So it was one-to-one -one instead of a bulk mass email, you know, still bulk and mass. Now, if you're sending a large volume of emails from a single address, you're getting severely penalized for it. So a lot of marketers who fell back and said, well, advertising isn't working anymore. Maybe we try email marketing again. That's probably not productive for you either. So like you said, first party data and, you know, having a collection strategy and, and incentivizing people to provide that information via form filler, however they want to identify themselves is such a high priority now. It, it absolutely is. And I'm really glad you brought up the, the emailing thing because that dovetails into this. So if we think about, if we assume we have these data repositories, so we'll just, you know, take it on faith now for that we have these data repositories. The first one is de-anonymizing our site visitors and actually getting good information about them. So, you know, names, emails, companies, phone numbers, um, you know, LinkedIn profiles. It's amazing the, the data. I think one of our pixels is able to uh, get like up to 330 or something data points. It's crazy, right? So we have one that we use for B2B, one we use for B2C. This is applicable for both. The, the Obviously, the first and most important use is going to be, especially for people who have large ad spends, is significantly reducing your ad costs and significantly increasing your ROAS, right? So you pump this data in 
And it's like a new day. I mean, I'm not trying to over-exaggerate this because I was really skeptical about it until I plugged this into a campaign or two. And I was like, okay, the case studies are real, right? So for the first one we saw, we just did this in December. So just uh, this last month, for three weeks in December, we ran a campaign to a auto work, oh, no, excuse me, a auto parts site that had previously given up on Facebook and Google advertising. I was like, how do you give, I don't know how you survive. They're really, they're literally, they have 150. The only reason they can survive is they have 150,000 products. So they're getting enough organic traffic that they're kind of hobbling along. But I'm like, this is a $2 million company. This should be like a $15 million company. They're not running ads. And I'm just like, that's how bad it is that these guys are literally said, no ads don't work anymore. So we said, Hey, trust me, ads still work. The anonymized website traffic data, the, the ROAS on those campaigns is fairly in a fairly unoptimized campaign set that we're still just you know working on early. 17x was the average ROAS in the month of December. We had one ad set that was doing 80. So you know, they're they're like they have new religion now. They're like, oh, okay, so this it's safe to go back in the water now. So we're starting to, you know, and that's not at all unusual to to see things like that. It's just there's the platforms are starving for this information. And once you give it to them, they're able to go and find more people. They just don't have the information originally. And if you think about if we just use the classic scenario of a lookalike audience, okay, what does that look like? Facebook says, give me just hey, all you gotta do is convert a thousand people and then upload that or it'll automatically get tied back to the pixel. So if you have a $50 cost per action and you have to get a thousand conversions through that campaign, that's 50 grand, right? That's kind of a, a tall bar to get a thousand people. But if, if we're de-anonymizing 50% of your site traffic and you get 2000 people in a month, only 2000 people, and then you get that same thousand people with just what you're already getting reflexively from your site with no additional spend. That's what that looks like. So, Beyond all the paid ad magic, the other thing that we do is, and I have a business partner who comes from a cold email background. He used to run campaigns for a major marketer doing cold emailing. Is this is kind of a one-two punch, and this is more about using. This is, these are layers on top of the data, like because it's about data doesn't do anything for you. It's about how you use the data, of course, right? So the other thing that we do now, B2B is a lot easier with cold emailing than B2C. You have to just dance around the dance a little bit differently, but it's not to say you can't do it. You just have to be aware that there's different levels of protection. I mean, but did you hear Google's talking about no longer allowing people to warm up domains? Game changer. <laughs> yeah, no. So tell, so tell me what you heard about that. So they announced that they're no longer going to allow people to programmatically warm up domains. Like in order to show that your email addresses are valid, you have to demonstrate regular behavior. And a lot of ways people are talking about maybe getting around this is subscribing to email newsletter lists like CNN, sports news, those sorts of things so that they're getting email from trusted sources and building domain deliverability that way. It's just... So this is a cat and mouse game. So as an SEO since 2005, we've been playing, it's kind of like saying SEO is dead, right? To me, email, because Google, it's not true. So Google, it basically, and I'm not saying Google doesn't have power, but Google does not own or control email, right? That's not there. They control Google, but they can't control that. And even they're losing their grip, even on search right now with, you know, a chat GPT, right? So that's like, that's a huge threat to them. They're, they're all hands on deck. So I'm just saying, 
saying, like even in their own arena, they're threatened. Never mind stepping into the entire world of email that they don't own that to say, oh, we're going to stop you from being able to warm up email addresses. Trust me, cold email marketers, that that is not going away. They are going to stay ahead of that. So I'm not worried at all about that because I don't see the elephant rolling over on, on anybody there. You, you talked about email warm up. I was actually going to talk about that. So, so the, the, the best practices right now, what works, and I can guarantee this works right now, is setting up alternative domains that are offshoots of your main domain. So for example, if it's abc.com, you know, go abc.com, abc dash, whatever, whatever. You set up a whole bunch of cold email domains. You then warm those domains up, which right now does work. And Google hasn't yeah. eradicated they that. They haven't shut it off. They haven't shut it off. And, and I don't think they're going to be able to. And typically what happens is there's basically emails go out, respond. There's behavior that warms it up. It usually takes about two weeks on average. And then the deliverability rate is typically 98 to 100%. Uh, every time that I've seen, usually it's like close to hundred percent. So that's working great. So, you know, if Google's pissed about that and I'm sure they're going to put that in their sites, but I just don't see how they're, because, you know, they'll just make the, the algorithm, the warm up tools will become more sophisticated. They'll do the newsletter thing. They'll do, there's, there's no way for them to determine that that is not a real email address. It might take longer. Maybe your warm up periods are going to be a month now, and maybe you're going to have to do more, but there are going to be plenty of vendors that rise to the occasion to provide other methods for doing that. So cold email is not about to die. And at minimum, marketers should set up an alternative domain and warm it up for the salespeople and get them on a separate domain, or you're going to trash your over domain, overall domain deliverability. I sound like Chicken Little, but I've seen it happen recently. Nobody's talking about it. I agree. You're one of the few people that I've heard say it other than myself recently on a lot of calls. Like I'm just telling people you can't do this. Just okay. In fact, actually I started with a client last week. He literally was doing this. He, he's like, he was telling me about all his cold emailing activity. And he said, and I said, well, what domains are you doing this from? He's like, Oh, we're just doing it from our main domain. I'm like, can you please stop that immediately? Right. It's, it's you don't know it because you can't prove it, but it's probably all landing in spam. Like call a few, email a few of your friends, call them. And I guarantee they're going to be like, what email? You have to be very protective of your mother domain and yes. you have to be very aware that, that there are lots of ways to burn it and you've got to educate your sales team. You've got to educate your, your, you know, people doing marketing and emailing and so forth to do that. So, However, going back to this, to, to the data, what do we do when we de-anonymize site traffic? Okay. We have, well, we have email addresses. This now ties into this. Set up these alternate domains. Those domains now need to be sending out emails to people that have visited the site. Now, this gets a little, like we talk about remarketing being creepy, right? Uh, it's like, oh, you know, you're following me and everything. Okay. But the thing is, like, if you're on a transactional site, and somebody was coming there to do business. There is there is absolutely nothing wrong because you have de-anonymized data. You're doing nothing illegal. You have their information. You can choose to use this data many, many different ways from all the way from salespeople looking at the data in a consultative sale, like a high ticket sale, just getting actionable information to say, how, how much would it be worth to your B2B sales team to know who's been visiting your site recently? And oh, maybe just happen to give them a call in the next month right? <laughs> or the next week or whatever, right? Okay, that's like, that's kind of old schoolish, right? But if you have a high enough average ticket size or a customer lifetime value, that makes a lot of sense to do that. Or in a more trans on a more transactional site or an e-com site, it's like, how about from an alternate domain, we'll reiterate that, sending out an offer that's got a strong offer to come back, something that's not advertised on the site. 
and opt them back into the main list, right? So we drive them back to an offer, a lead magnet, whatever you want to do, just straight transactional, 15% off, whatever, whatever's appropriate for the site and the brand to bring them back. Now so you're now converting people that were otherwise just leaving your site, it's completely anonymous people. Cause that's where the brain drain is occurring. We are as site owners, as business owners, as marketers, we have all these people that were paying in one way or the other through blood, sweat and tears or money to come to our site. And they're just leaving and we never know who they are. And so that is the great untapped resource, right? To, to me, that is where you get alpha in the, you know, in the investing world talk about where do I get alpha? Where do I get positive, you know, change? Where, where's the arbitrage play and so forth. That's, that's where it is for me um, to do that. And you can get more fancy with this. So I gave a very simple example, but what about things like setting up a cold email campaign that also reaches out on LinkedIn, right? So you do an in-mail and you reach out because we have their LinkedIn uh, profile, right? And we say, you know, we do an introduction on there and something, you know, relevant data in there. So it's personalized. So we can do personalized cold email, right? We can do that all automated, by the way. This is all completely automated. So that that type of system is another great use of this um, and reaching out through both cold email and both through LinkedIn. So I wanted to mention that. Right. Okay. So I think it was 2020, Forbes came out with an article where they stated that a few major, major brands cut their digital advertising budget in half. So they're spending half as much. And they had absolutely zero change to how much sales they were generating. So they stayed at the same, if not better rate. The obvious takeaway I think a lot of people ran away with is that digital advertising is dead or doesn't work or whatever. There's a lot of nuances in the data though. Like what are some other things that should be explored before we say we're not doing digital advertising anymore because it doesn't work? Right. So that's just... Yeah, that's really unfortunate because it's so deceiving and misleading. I'm here to tell you digital advertising works better than ever, but it's not such... I think what happened is we all collectively got kind of lazy. There was a there was a heyday. And this is... If you look through all industries and all technologies, the curve, right? There's an adoption. Okay. Making money in cryptocurrency. There was a period of time when it was easy to make money in crypto. It was a very short period of time. It was very yeah. short-lived and it had a horrible flaming death at the end, but... Yeah. Yeah. It was, you were, there were people like you were throwing darts at dartboards and making money. Okay. The analog here is that there was a time with digital advertising where there was just a lot of leverage without, a, with a low IQ quotient in terms of what you need to know as a marketer. So it's just, it's returned back to, it, it, this is like consolidation, a rush to value, all these things that happen in that phase of any, of any industry or technology where now it's just gotten back to, you actually need to know what you're doing and you need to have tools on your side that level the playing field, right? And so it's knowledge and it's also really, again, it comes back to data, not to beat a dead horse, but it really comes back to that. So I think what that's reflective of is that, and, and your time frame is really interesting on that because that's a 2020 article that's after 2019. And I'm telling you from the field, like as an agency, I watched this happen across 22 different niches. I mean, it, it did get really difficult to deliver results. And so that, that affected everyone. So I think what happens is it, it became like for a lot of companies, it was, it was just that the inefficient are being exposed. Yes, it, most advertising campaigns, uh, with very few exceptions, became very inefficient and very wasteful in the, the 2019 to 
present day. It's still happening right now. I'm not going to talk about it like it's dead. And so that, that exposes that, but that, but you know, correlation does not equal causation and it's not, you can draw the wrong conclusions from the data. It's not, <laughs> you know, again, pointing at saying digital advertising is the culprit. It's no, it's the inefficiencies within your digital advertising. Like, so let's, let's go back to like the premises of marketing. And I know, you know, this. I'm preaching to the choir here. What works in marketing? right audience, right message, right time. That hasn't gone away. Guess what? Without that, without a strong offer, let's even just forget all that. Without an amazing offer, you will never go anywhere in marketing. You are not going to shoot fish in a barrel. Okay. So you have to have a compelling offer that is better than your competitors that makes people get off their butts and take an action. Got to have that. By the way, very few people have that. Very few people have that. They think they do, but I mean, most of the marketing copy I see just absolutely sucks. It's just like totally, even from big companies, almost like the bigger the company, the worse it is. It's like the scrappy upstarts, I think, are the ones I see better, better copy from. And so you have to have those three things, right? Message, right? Market, right? Time. And then beyond that, now you also have to have all these other things, good attribution. We were, you were touching on attribution with UTMs and other things. Uh, Hyros just sold for $110 million. Right. I mean, attribution is really important. Having first party data is really important. And then also things like old school skills, like good creative, you know, yeah, again, strong copywriting and things like that. These have all become important. So I think what was happening is that inefficiencies were being hidden. My favorite football team is the Philadelphia Eagles. We have probably the most talented roster in the NFL. Why do I bring this up right now in this conversation? Because I believe massive coaching inefficiencies have been hidden through that the roster on, on that uh, the talent on that roster. All of a sudden, a few guys get hurt and they look like complete, you know, they're lost out there. It's like, wait a minute, how did they win 13 games like that? It's because it's like deodorant. And I believe that's what happened is we had deodorant through the abilities of these platforms and phoning it in. And I think stuff's getting real again. And we're back to, and I'm down, I'm here for it because I'm an old school marketer. It's like, right, let's go back to like, separate the wheat from the chaff. Good marketers will survive this, this period and bad marketers are going to go away. That's my viewpoint on the market and what I'm seeing. What I like about what I'm hearing are two things. You, we can't excuse people anymore who refuse to learn data. Like you have to be able to read the tea leaves and interpret what you're seeing and adjust accordingly. And then the other half of that coin or the flip side of that coin is you need excellent create creative in order to generate results. So it's an art and a science. There aren't many people who are really excellent at both. So if you have a really great creative team who likes testing things out, great supplement that with an analyst. Like get somebody in there who can help them read the tea leaves so they know what to repeat and they know what to stop doing. I just don't think there's an excuse anymore for not leveraging the data you do have. It's true. It's not sexy, but it's really, really useful. And I would say critically important. And what we're seeing is uh, just to further your point is that I can't remember the exact number. I just saw something in the last few weeks that about the resurgence of how many people are going for data analytics degrees and things like this. It's a, it's a huge resurgence, not a coincidence that people are companies are now realizing, realizing they need this now again. And uh, we're back to yeah the importance of data. Um, and I, by the way, 
I'm not going to be disingenuous and pretend like I was all about data the whole time. I, I had to be brought to it. I was beaten to it, into it, you know, I, I, you know, cause I was enjoying, I was enjoying the period where we didn't have to work so hard on the data side and we were working on the creative. I was having fun with all the creative. So I kind of like, I was able to kind of be lazy on that side of it and focus on that in my agencies. And that was great. But then all of a sudden it was like, okay, we, we got to get back here and make this other stuff work now. Cause it's not so easy. Yeah, yeah, and it's only going to get harder, which kind of segues into the next topic. So we've seen Google putting off cookie apocalypse. They're not going to put it off forever. Flock was a disaster, their concept to replace it, but they're going to figure something else out because legally they have to. Yes. So this is getting harder. You talked about your solution. I think... CDPs or customer data platforms are going to be something B2B marketers are also going to get familiar with. It's something that's been common in, in B2C, but finding a way to stitch your data together, no matter where it happens um, and unifying everything on a timeline by person and account, that's highly valuable. What are other things you think will come about because of all of these changes? Other things that will come about as a regard, I mean, I think we covered a lot of them. I, I agree hundred percent. I'm actually glad you mentioned CDPs because you live in that world. We won't touch a campaign without a CDP involved because for us, that's the other side of it is, you know, is enriching the data, consolidating the data, giving a single coherent view of this customer data. We, we, I think that that's becoming a requirement now. And I think right now people consider it optional. I think in one year, CDP, CDPs become mandatory. Like it's going to go from like, like twenty percent to eighty percent, and uh, that's that's my prediction on it, it because I've seen the value of it myself. So I think we see that. I think we're just going to see that marriage of art and science that you mentioned. We're just going to see science step up to be equally important in marketing where we we didn't before, and it, it is harder. You know, so you either get scared of that and you run away from it or you embrace it and get good at the new concomitant skills that are required to be successful in your company. And um, I'm hoping that that means people get paid more, appreciated more for what they do. I think we've just seen, you know, agencies and marketing experts grow like weeds over these last 10 years. And I think we're really seeing, uh, you know, and if I don't know what's going to happen with this, uh, you know, the recession and what happens in 2023, if that comes to fruition or whatever. But I think across the board, we're going to see just a real consolidation. And so people who are really in this and love it and uh, embrace everything we're saying, I think it's going to be an opportunity for them to really stand out and be. So here's the thing. I always see this as a challenge that, that is an opportunity. There is opportunity and challenge. Okay. The one that we hear about all the time is when, when we're in a re recessionary economy or in any way, there's a retraction in advertising spend across the board. That is when companies should advertise the most because you get the most exposure and everybody's too scared to do it. But the ones who do statistically, historically win, we can prove this. So be one of those people. Hopefully you save some dry powder in storage, right? For, for it. It's just like investing in a down market and you have some, hopefully you have some money to invest in, you know, to take advantage of that. So I think that's, that's a big part of it is, is doing that. Yeah. So those, those are my initial thoughts on that. So one last question before we do outros. I really like that you admitted that data wasn't something you naturally ran to. It was something you kind of had to be pushed into. We're not suggesting people go out and learn SQL. Not that, you know, I did and I still use it and I never thought I'd say that out loud, but, uh, <laughs> but I don't think that's necessary to start getting your arms around some core concepts. Where, 
Where can, have you seen a good starting place for people? Starting place for understand it. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like, are there any Google Analytics? Their university is pretty complicated, you know? It is. It's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. I know metadata's demand community might be a great place to start asking questions. Are there other resources along those lines? Community resources, um, maybe continuing education. There's a lot of great analytics, statistics courses there. Anything else you can think of that might encourage people to start getting their arms around metrics, what they mean, how to look at patterns? I want to say yes to that. And I think what you've done is outline a need that I've thought about previously. There's a real need for this. If it's out there and if anybody's watching this and saying, oh, no, there's a great place. I, it hasn't come across my radar screen. I've been just cobbling this stuff together on my own through various means. So I have not found an emergent player in the space who is like, because, you know, you pointed out like you know, all the, the platforms have to provide this meta Google. and it, But there's tend to be very not invented here syndrome where it's all about us and it's very wonky and it's very nerdy and it's like, not going to be for somebody that's very new to this. It's looking for a kind of like you overview, like the, the, uh, you know, 101, right. In college, the 101 class version of it, there are universities out there, schools that are doing this practically. I'll give a plug for one. I have no financial relationship other than my brother is a vice president of the school. A full sale university in Orlando is an example of a school that's bringing more real world practical they're forced to, in order to, they're a four-year uh, accredited university, but they're forced to do that because that's the kind of student they're bringing in and they have like a marketing program, you know, and, and so forth. So I see schools like that doing that, that are, that need to, because it's, it's a survival requirement for them. They have to be able to educate people and attract them. Whereas sometimes when you're already in the marketing world, there's this sort of assumption of like, I mean, I read half the Google articles. I'm like, really? Like, like wow. You know, it's just not very intelligible. So yeah, I think there's a real need for this out there. I don't really know of a water cooler that's kind of doing it right. Do you, have you run into anything like that? I would look at Pavilion to see if they have anything. There's other communities that are more generic that aren't company run that may be a good resource. And then we also at Calibermind give courses like I even do one on just reading charts. You know how some executives have this superpower where they're able to spot all this stuff. And you're like, how the heck did they do that? They're just looking for spikes, dips, and other patterns that they can spot in the data. So really training people to to look at stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think it is a hey, maybe we're onto something. We should, we should. I think you have really highlighted a need in the industry. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because, because uh, it's kind of like getting started with with marketing data and like we can really talk like that. that that's how what i'm seeing is i'm seeing big agencies and very large companies who already have a data scientist on board right they have somebody and then there's a huge rift in the middle and then the, the low end there there's people who are aware of the problem and then trying to do things to solve it but there's this like whole there's this whole middle market where they're just absolutely doing nothing and they desperately need it and it is impacting their bottom line whether they realize it or not it's another matter but it, it's a, it's a huge need so yeah, you guys gonna do it? Start to spin up some classes. It looks like you know, I'll just get going. So where can people find you online to network? Yes, absolutely. So you can find me um, on. You can feel free to email me. It's absolutely uh, fine. You know, if it's business related, uh, whatever. So it's Sean S E A N at identities.com. It's like identities with an A in the front of it. That is my new company that works with data. And uh, so identities.com and uh, you can find me on other, but if 
you go and find me on Twitter, I'm going to be talking mostly about Eagles football. So you get very bored if you want to talk about marketing on there. That's my role. I think you're brave with me on Twitter still. That's, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I, I dipped. I dipped pretty early. <laughs> I, I would never judge that. I totally get it. I, I, I consider that many days myself. So. <laughs> and, and, I mean, all social media, right? So, Sean, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. For those of you listening, if you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe. Tell two friends. It does make a difference. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, like courses on how to read charts, check out calgrimind.com. Thank you.